Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, March 2nd, 2014. So Victor and Chelsea follow Chloe all the way to Paris. They've tracked her down at Chelsea and Adam's apartment to be. Chloe is there clutching on to Connor as they've caught her red-handed and are begging her to give back the child except it was it was odd because Victor and Chelsea are both trying to talk to Chloe in very dulcet tones very hush hush tones just give the baby back uh, Chloe just give the baby back to his mother Chloe and everything will be just fine it really felt like talking someone down from a ledge. They didn't want to cause any more harm, didn't want to cause any harm uh, to Chloe or to the baby. It was just, oh gosh, it was heartbreaking. Kevin ended up showing up. Apparently he hitched a ride on someone's plane. (laughs) Some connection that Catherine had given to him. He decided to call in that favor and hitch a ride to Paris to get there as soon as possible to again try to talk Chloe down from the ledge. Get down from the ledge, Chloe. Don't jump. You have too much to live for. But Chloe is so set into her mental illness, really. She starts begging Kevin to validate this decision for her. Like, it's a perfectly reasonable thing. Just, you know, I'm doing the right thing, right, Kevin? You understand. You of all people in the world understand, right? Kevin's the only person that Chloe has had that she's really been able to connect to and lean on. And now she's looking at him just hoping to validate this decision. But it's a complete and total bust. I mean, Chloe's sitting there saying, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Chelsea is a bad mother. Chelsea exposed Connor to Adam, who is a bad man, a bad, bad man. And in Chloe's mind, that makes Chelsea uh, a bad mother and doesn't deserve to have the child. So she's still clinging uh, to this idea that she's going to be better somehow when uh, really everyone in the room together begins to, to just make sense to Chloe and she realizes she has no one in her corner. She's made a mistake and together Chelsea and Victor and uh, Kevin uh, talk Chloe into giving Connor back back. And I mean, Chelsea was overjoyed, so thrilled to have her son back in her arms. But in this moment, Chelsea was also very empathetic toward her friend. And I wonder if any of you guys were a little bit surprised about that, because I kind of was. I I guess there was a part of me that thought maybe this would be the last straw for their friendship. I mean, here, Chelsea is encouraging Chloe to come back with them to Genoa City. You know, come and fly on Victor's private jet with us. We'll all go back. We'll all be together. But I don't know that I would have that compassion for Chloe. I think Chelsea feels extremely, extremely guilty over what Adam has done. And so I think she, uh, you know, wants to reach out to Chloe. You know, this is her friend and also to maybe ease her own guilt. But I just think that someone stealing my baby, I would really, really want to keep them at bay. But I was impressed with uh, Chelsea's humanity in that moment and compassion toward her friend. 
Victor and Chelsea decide to go get on the plane and get ready to go back uh, to, to Genoa City, just as if nothing has happened. And Chloe and Kevin are left in the apartment. And there was a really wonderful, tender moment between Chloe and Kevin where he does try to give Chloe the encouragement to go on. Uh, Chloe says, you know, that she, she just wants to drift off forever, just does not want to continue to live. Now, there's nothing keeping her in Genoa City that was never really her home, or she never felt like it was her home in the first place, so why should I go back there? And Kevin is now in a position where he has to convince Chloe to stay for him, to stay for his sake, and he says, if, if you know, if you leave, then Delia leaves too, you know, I'm going through this grieving process, and I need you, and Chloe just wants to shut down. She now believes that everything good in her has died with Delia, and so therefore there's no reason to continue on. And Kevin tells her, you know, the best parts of Delia, all of her um, lovely qualities came from you, and they're still alive in you. And it was nice to see Kevin someone picking Chloe back up and helping her to her feet, which is what she really needed. Um, <laughs> I was really, again, kind of surprised to, to see Chloe and Kevin show up at Victor's private jet. I mean, they were waiting for them, hoping, Chelsea and Victor are kind of hoping that Chloe and Kevin come back with them on the same flight. I find that hard to believe <laughs> that Chloe would even want to get on that flight. How can Chloe not feel humiliated? I, I think I would rather suffer through a commercial flight, transcontinental commercial flight, all alone, rather than sitting with this woman whose baby I just stole. I can't imagine. I mean, what's that? Like an 18-hour flight, and they all sat on it together. I mean, even if Chelsea is being super nice toward her friend, you know that Victor is going to be Mr. Judgmental over there. That had to have been the most awkward, awkward flight in the world. <laughs> so I found that difficult to believe in. It was so much shame. I just was feeling where Chloe was coming from this week, and I'm just imagining being her and feeling so ashamed and sick inside and then having to sit on an 18-hour flight with Victor or whatever, however long it is. Um, so they get back at home. Everybody arrives home safely, and Victor and Chelsea are at the condo kind of breathing a sigh of relief, and Jack is coming over to check on Chelsea and he is now finding out that all of this has just happened and he's completely offended that he first of all didn't know about it but also seeing that Chelsea chose Victor that Chelsea chose to allow Victor to help her and Jack is completely suspicious of Victor immediately and he starts in on Chelsea saying you know Victor this is all part of his plan. Has it ever occurred to you that this is part of his plan? That maybe either he was behind the whole baby stealing thing or that he's now going to use this as an excuse to take Connor away from you. In fact, Jack implied that Victor was going to have Chelsea declared as an unfit mother and take the child away. And my question to you is, was that Victor's plan? I mean, here Jack is 
calling it out. And if it was true, that would have given Chelsea the heads up. If it wasn't true, it's you know very you know Victor standing over in the corner and going, Jack, this is just another one of your ways of trying to get back at me, and it's not working. And why are you putting Chelsea in the middle? So, what do you guys think was that part of Victor's plan? You know, it certainly planted the seed of doubt in Chelsea's mind, I believe. And knowing Victor these days, I mean, you know I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but knowing him these days, I really would not put it past him if that's exactly what he was going to do. Somehow go to the courts now and say that uh, Chelsea endangered her son by by associating with this crazy person, Chloe, or I don't know what his angle would have been. But now that Jack has pointed it out... I think we should consider Chelsea warned. She uh, ended up kind of asking Jack to, you know, it, it had become so heated, you know, Victor and Jack going back and forth at one another, Jack accusing Victor, Victor defending himself without really ever saying whether or not that's what he was planning. Uh, it became so much for Chelsea that she just said, go, please, you know, Jack, you said you had to leave, just leave. Victor stayed and they had a conversation together and Victor did seem to try to smooth things over in that way that Victor smooths things over. But I just wonder, I think, I think, Chelsea is um, concerned about Victor, and Jack had actually made a good point, saying, you know, Adam has been in your shoes at where you are right now. Many, many times he had wanted a relationship with Victor, only to find out that Victor wasn't capable of that type of loving relationship. So, um, again, I I really think Chelsea um, should just turn around, run back to Paris. (laughs) That may be the safest place for her now that Adam's really not there to protect her from this duel. She's right in the middle. And at the very, very end of Friday's show, Chelsea received a phone call from an unknown phone number, and it was all staticky on the other end, and there was this air of mystery about it, and she just is holding the phone to her ear, and she just says out loud, Adam? You know, as Adam, and I, I I, think she, well, obviously believes in her heart that Adam is still alive and wants him back, I'm, I'm sure. And I know um, there have been some casting updates this week. It does seem like YNR is looking around to see if they can recast the role of Adam. It certainly is an important role. I, what do you guys think about that? How are you feeling about a, a recast of Adam? Because it is a very important character, I think. Um, personally, I think it's, you know, the character itself has brought a lot to the landscape, um, has just been very in an integral place. He's an important little chess piece there. But at the same time, I do still feel um, like I love Michael Mooney and I miss Michael Mooney and I and I, it still smarts. I think uh, personally that maybe YNR needs to wait a little while longer. I, I'm not entirely opposed to a recast just because it may have to be but maybe not so soon maybe I need a little more time (laughs) oh you guys will have to let me know how you're feeling about all of that um so that's the Victor and Chelsea end of things uh Chloe and Kevin get home and they go back to the Chancellor Mansion I don't know where the heck Esther is (laughs) um she disappeared she came for a second to the ballroom and then disappeared for who knows how long I I didn't see her this week uh but Chloe is at home at the Chancellor Mansion 
really apologizing to Kevin, um, just feeling terrible for what has happened, feeling ashamed of herself, I'm sure, and breathing a sigh of relief that there are no charges being pressed against her since neither Victor or Chelsea seems to have pressed charges. And it was almost as soon as the, the breath had left their mouths, the sigh of relief had left their mouths, the police knock on the door and they show up there to arrest Chloe on federal charges. It doesn't have anything to do with Victor or Chelsea at this point. Uh, a kidnapping was reported by Chelsea and Chloe was the perpetrator. So she's now arrested. She's been taken down to the police station for questioning and she's now meeting with, um, uh, she's in a room with Paul, the chief of police, Kevin, and now Michael has been called in as her attorney. And they have a moment alone. The Baldwins and Chloe have a moment alone where they're trying to strategize how they're going to get her out of this. And Kevin immediately clicks into this story that he's concocted that's going to solve everything. It's a, a complete and total lie. He begins to say that, oh, um, it was all just a big misunderstanding. Chelsea knew that Chloe was going to take the baby to Paris. They had pre-planned it. And I think Kevin believed from his conversations with Chelsea that Chelsea would cooperate this story, that um they could work together to to get Chloe out of this mess. And Chloe's just sitting there the entire time stone-faced. I mean, she's listening to Kevin go on about this lie, and she's just got this look on her face like, I'm exhausted. Like, I'm tired. I'm tired of lying. And she just finally says, no, that's not true. That's not what happened. I stole the baby. You know, I did everything that they're saying that I did. I did. And there's this moment where she's talking to Michael, who, you know, is strategically trying to figure out a way how he's going to get Chloe out of this. And she just says, you know, I've lost Delia and now I really don't have any point in living. I, you know, she had this line where she said something to the effect of that I, I have a hard time waking up every morning and living in this world knowing that she's not in it. So why should I continue to try? Maybe going to prison would be the best thing for me. She's really ready to shut down and give up. And Michael, and of course later Kevin, is talking to her saying, are you, you know, are you really ready for prison? Do you really understand what that means? And Michael tells her, you had a momentary lapse in judgment on a very difficult day. It was Jillia's birthday. And so a jury would certainly cut you some slack on that. Don't give up. We can fight this together. But Chloe admitted it was more than that. It wasn't just a momentary lapse in judgment. It was planned. She said, I stole articles of his of Connor's clothing. I took things. I took a lock of his hair and put it in a baby book. It wasn't just one bad day. This is a systemic illness that's going on in my head right now. She's now realizing for the first time how completely sick that she is. And uh, it, it did bother me a little bit the way both Michael and Kevin were so quick to try to make excuses for her. And I think that's really 
become a part of the problem. That's really not what she needed all along. She didn't need someone to make an excuse for her or for her behavior. She needed someone to help her through this. She needed professional counseling. She needed help. And I got really a wonderful voicemail through my website this week from um, Solana, and she just made a really impassioned point about where Chloe needs to be in the future. What Silvana said was, now it's time for Chloe to finally grieve for her daughter. No more trying to replace her daughter with Connor. No more trying to avoid what really happened with Delia's death. Now is the time for her to just grieve. Wasn't it kind of nice to see the Baldwins and Paul having dinner together this week, breaking bread, <laughs> being friends again? There's been so much tension in this wonderful friendship over the legal problems caused by Carmine. Uh, and it was sad to see, especially Paul and Lauren's relationship. Um, Paul and Lauren have always been close. He's always had quite a soft spot for her uh, as his ex-wife. And it's been really sad to see them at odds for weeks and weeks and months and months, really. So uh, Michael invited them to, invited Paul to sit down with he and Lauren this week for dinner. And uh, Michael begrudgingly even picked up the bill. It was kind of funny. Paul was really chowing down in that scene. Did you notice? He was practically like shoveling food into his mouth when it's on Michael's bill. (laughs) But I mean, more than that, it was nice to see them talking and kind of joking, and I don't know if the Carmine situation is going to be over or if it's going to pop back up. I'm assuming maybe it's going to pop back up, Um, but it was nice to see them breaking bread together, maybe letting bygones be bygones, and interestingly, Fen shows up at the meal to announce that he decided, well, to his mother, actually, that he's going to be a lawyer, that he wants to follow in his father's footsteps and maybe use schooling and um, becoming a lawyer as a path toward healing. And he seems really jazzed up and excited about all of this. I mean, he's taking a cue from Summer's book. She has met this really great life coach. Dylan and Nick are teaming up against the evil force that is Ian Ward. And I have to say, I am really kind of enjoying Nick and Dylan being friends and throw Avery in there. It's awkward, but amusing to me. I feel like I've enjoyed the Nick-Dylan-Avery triangle way more within just the past couple weeks of them being sort of frenemies than the whole time when they were in the love triangle. Do you guys feel that way? I just think that there have been some funny lines. I like that Avery's poking fun at these guys who are supposed to be mortal enemies and she's saying, hey, maybe you guys could have a sleepover, braid braid each other's hair. (laughs) It's funny to me. I need that levity, I suppose. But uh, they have a lot of work to do. Summer 
follows Ian to his hotel room to take this personality test or whatever it was and she's in there just very casually writing writing on her answers on this test and it's ominous it really is Ian has uh, this carafe of iced tea conveniently completely prepared on his table in his hotel room and he offers Summer this glass of iced tea and there's a moment where I thought is he gonna spike it and what did you guys think that I went back and watched the scene twice and I did not see him slip anything into her drink but he hands her this glass of iced tea and she takes it drinks it is very grateful then goes about her test and he gets this evil smirk on his face and since I didn't see him slip anything into the drink I thought well now this is interesting just this tiny little moment I had to focus in on because I thought you know I wonder if this is Ian's way of just testing her you know he hands her a drink she picks it up and drinks it without question almost as if it was a test of how much she trusts him is there anything in her that thinks he might be a bad guy that would make her hesitate to drink something that he gave to her and she took it. She just drinks it, gulps it right down. Everything's completely fine. <laughs> She's a happy little uh, teen, late teenager just taking a drink from a strange man in his hotel room. Well, he re- the creepy level of Ian really, really skyrocketed this week because then he tells Summer that he wants to take a picture of her for her file. Mm-hmm. So there's one picture just of her sitting there awkwardly, and then there's one picture of him and her. Like, he wants to do a selfie. Like, here I am, a 70-year-old man just wanting to innocently do a selfie with this young, hot former model. Oh, gosh. And she doesn't think a thing about it. I, I gave Summer the benefit of the doubt in previous weeks, thinking, well, you know, she she's young, maybe she just doesn't know. But now I'm like, girl, somebody needs to teach you to have your she need, doesn't have weirdo instincts. Like, there is something that's now become weird about this situation or unsettling. And, I mean, just wait until all of a sudden he needs to take a picture of her in her underwear or a nude photo for his for her file. I mean, come on, Summer. The light should be going on in your head. But it doesn't. And after Summer leaves, Nick and Dylan show up. They have decided that they're going to confront Ian Ward. And immediately, as soon as Ian opens the door, he does make some kind of offhand comment about Nikki being lovely or something. And Nick just could not resist getting a punch in. He just punches him right in his face. Ian, like, falls back. Like, what the heck? You know, again, you're punching an old man. <laughs> but he did He did deserve it. I think I thought it was a about time. It's been a little while since Nick has punched anyone, and this was their first meeting, so it makes sense. (laughs) But now Nick and Dylan are in the hotel room, kind of ganging up on him, using the brute force, telling him to stay away from Nicky, but he's not going to. In fact, he has plans to send that photo of him and Summer, the little selfie, to Nicky. So Ian sends that photo to Nicky's cell phone, and she flips out. She all of a sudden has all of these memories flooding back to her of uh, when the things that she was made to do or coerced to do uh, with him sexually. And now she's almost seeing her granddaughter plopped right down into this position that she used to be in. And it's horrifying for her. She's immediately freaked out. 
she calls him on the phone and he begins to taunt her. Now, for the first time, we're really seeing the real Ian Ward because for the past couple of weeks, he's been just bu bubbling below the surface. We know as the audience that he's a bad guy, but he hasn't really shown those stripes. And now he's just outright taunting Nikki, saying, yeah, you know, I got your granddaughter in one way or another. And if you'd like me to step out of your lives forever, I'm going to need you to pay me. So now he wants money. Now it's extortion. For a cool $5 million, he will leave town, leave Nikki alone forever. And of course he tells, you know, just she's going to go right for it. Of course Nikki's going to do whatever he says. You know, she, she it, 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 Nikki just... It bothers me that she just did what he wanted to do. She just followed it. Because here is this evil man who is threatening her family, who is trying to extort her money. Well, you know who might be able to help you with this problem, Nikki? Your husband. Maybe if you would involve people and tell people what's happening to you, this wouldn't be going on. It, it bothered me that Nikki tried to take care of it all on her own. I know that's her just being independent and Victor's off doing everything that Victor's doing, but she needed to confide in someone and she didn't and that bothers me. I mean, of course of course, Ian tells her to keep her mouth shut. Don't tell anyone, including your husband, what I'm doing. Um, just keep your mouth shut while I extort you now, and then I'll turn around in probably a year and extort you again. I mean, I, I can't believe Nikki didn't have the long game in view on that one. But again, I suppose she's just blinded uh, by fear and rage and all of the above. She decides to get the cash together right away. She just has $5 million apparently lying around. She probably, I don't know, keeps it stashed away under her pillowcase or something. She puts $5 million in cash in a designer floral print bag <laughs> to take to him. It was so Nikki, you know. I mean, if she's going to get extorted, she might as well do it in style. <laughs> Uh, so she's on her way out the door to go give Ian the money. He's instructed her to meet him at his office, and she runs into Avery. Avery has decided this is the time to give Nikki her will, finalized will papers, and Nikki rushes her off, and Avery realizes that something is up with this, so she goes back to Nick and Dylan and tells them, something didn't seem right with your mother. She had a bag. I just have a bad feeling that Ian has something to do with it, and at the exact same time, uh, they're at the coffee house with Faith, and someone mentions the name, you know, John Darwin, and Faith uh, just sits right up and confirms, you know, that John Darwin, that's Summer's friend. That's the guy that's Summer's friend. So they and all all of the pieces start to fit together right away. To Nikki's credit, um she goes to see him in his office. She goes to see Ian. She's got the bag of money and she does play dumb about the amount of money he wanted. She starts to act confused. Uh, he realizes there's not five million dollars in the bag. It's only one million. And so she's starting to kind of be like, oh, what was it again? I was supposed to I was supposed to give you how much money? And and um, also, what, what, what do I get for this amount of money? What are you going to do? And she forces him to confess, really, to say out loud, I'm extorting you for X amount of money so that, you know, this and that. She also forces him, although he doesn't really comply, to try to confess that their relationship was not consensual. And I thought... This is actually really brilliant. Nikki's clearly recording him. I mean, I thought, well, she's 
gotta be. She's now forcing him to say everything, and he just is. So she's gotta have some kind of recording device that's gonna get this guy arrested. I don't know if that's the case. Maybe that's gonna come up next week. Uh, but instead, she was just like, oh, no, I'll get you your money. It's down in the car. Nick and Dylan show up right at about that point. Uh, they, well, I guess I forgot completely to mention that Nikki rescued Summer. Like, as soon as Summer gets, or as soon as Nikki gets to Ian's office, she sees that Summer is inside, and she's terrified. She's like, Summer, just get out of here. Summer doesn't know what's going on. She thought this guy was trustworthy. Now, all of a sudden, her grandmother shows up out of nowhere, tells her to get out of the room, is not aware that there's a connection there at all. So, Nikki kind of rescues Summer, ushers her out of the room. Summer goes to the police station to alert Paul and while Nikki and Ian are alone together, Nick comes in. He sort of rescues Nikki, gets her out of there and Dylan and Ian have now this final face-off. It's just Dylan and Ian together and Dylan is looking like he's going to do something violent. In fact, Ian said, you know, I'm aware of your military past. I'm aware that you're a violent person and it just seemed like Dylan was ready to let loose all of the rage that he's been feeling for all of these months since he's found out that his parents aren't who he thought that they were. And just as it looked like he was about to like pick Ian up and throw him out of the office window, uh, and Paul shows up. He's been alerted by Summer. He shows up and he comes face to face again with Ian. I mean, Paul was a member of the cult as well, so he's not a stranger to this man. And now this is uh, Paul's chance to see him and realize that he's a bigger, better man than he used to be, that now he is in a position of power. You're Years and years ago, Paul was powerless, but now he can actually do something, and what he chooses to do is arrest Ian. So Paul takes Ian away, I guess, to the to the police station. I was that kind of disappointed. Like there was a part of me that that was like, damn. Uh, this whole thing with Ian could have totally lasted longer. I was ready for it to last longer. And it bubbled up this week and came to a head. And now Ian's arrested. And is he going to be back? Because I was enjoying that. I was watching that, YNR. Why did that have to go away? It's like some storylines will be dragged out for months and months and way too long, a la Carmine. And then the storylines that I'm actually enjoying just get wrapped up way too quickly. I, I, I like Ian Ward as the villain. I mean, I know he's not a good guy, but there's this part of me that thought, well... I don't know, is it kind of weird that I'm on Ian's side? Like, <laughs> I just think he could make a good villain, and maybe I'd like to see him torture these people a little bit more. <laughs> yes, it's true. I am a terrible person. Uh, so, are we done? Is Ian gone? Is that it? Or is he going to come back? Because if he does come back, the only thing that I'm concerned about YNR is that he's going to end up dead. I mean, so many people are going to have it out for him. Nikki, Dylan, Nick, even Summer. So many people could want Ian Ward dead. And I swear, bring him back, YNR. But if this turns into another whodunit... Sharon came home last week to find all of those photos of Cassie all over her apartment. 
she knows in her heart that she didn't do it. I mean, Sharon seems convinced that something else has to be going on here. And Noah ended up showing up at Sharon's house and she did confide in him a little bit that she, that this is what happened. She didn't lie. She didn't try to cover it up. She said, this is what happened. I'm afraid that it might be me, but I don't really think that it is. And she tells Noah that she thinks maybe it could be a ghost. She's noticed that the there's been a change in the way that she's seen Cassie. Cassie used to always be a benign figure, and now there's a malevolence about her, and, and, and she feels threatened almost by the ghost Cassie, and Sharon thinks maybe it could be a bad poltergeist or something. Noah just is, I think, shocked that this is happening. Uh, my mother, I thought, couldn't get any more crazy, and now here she is. Sharon whips out the Ouija board and tries to convince Noah to do the Ouija board with her. Oh my gosh, you guys. I, you know, I, I probably should be laughing at this or annoyed. I don't know, but I'm enjoying it for some reason. I don't know why. Just the scene of Sharon sitting there with the Ouija board just, it thrills me. It gives me just a, a little la laugh inside of my head. I mean, Sharon sitting there with the Ouija board. I'm telling you, I bet <laughs> probably Jana was the last person to touch that dusty old thing. Noah received a Valentine's gift delivered to his apartment from Courtney, but they're not together anymore. It's something she must have ordered a while ago. So he goes down to the police station, which she, which is where she apparently works. <laughs> and now, like her, she's totally not undercover anymore, apparently, because he can just find her there. Um, and he wants to give her her Valentine's Day gift back. He's very mad at her for keeping this secret from him, for lying to him, but... Courtney, you know, she tells him, this is my career, you know, and it's important to me. Every time that we met, every time we were together, I was not on the clock. So everything that we shared was actually me. I wasn't lying to you about that. But being undercover means that I have to lie about some things. So there was just a, a, a chemistry in the air. You could tell that Courtney desperately wanted to have Noah back, but Noah has been feeling like he's been betrayed. And just she's so impassioned in trying to convince him. He finally just gives in and he scoops her up and he kisses her, and they are, I am assuming, just clearly just bring right back together. What do you guys feel about that? Noah and Courtney, is this a couple that has some potential? Is this a couple that you're looking forward to seeing more of? Now that Billy is out of the hospital and Victoria knows all about the affair, she wants to know all of the dirty details. And she confronts Billy this week and asks him, where did you have sex? Was it here in our house? How many times did you do it? Where was I while you needed somebody else to fill you up? Oh, it was good. It was a good confrontation. And he didn't lie. He really tried to present what happened exactly the way that it happened. And she realized that he told her the night it was that it was once that he and Kelly slept together. And Victoria realized that they had sex right after that, that right as soon after he had sex with Kelly, Victoria and Billy had sex 
for the first time since Delia had died. So, oh my gosh, she's realizing he did it with her right after. That's horrible. And she just, Victoria was so good this week and she really let him have it. And she said to Billy, I needed you too. You know, you were off needing something from somebody else, but I needed you. I needed something too. I lost Delia too. I was the one who was at home holding our family together while you couldn't even bear to look at our son. It's true, too. Victoria was nothing but completely supportive of him and whatever he wanted to do when he did betray her. <laughs> oh, it does get it does get to me now that Victoria knows. I'm glad that she knows. I, you know, okay. I Kelly, I liked at first, but she is bothering me lately. Stitch runs into Kelly. Uh, I think it was at the coffee house. And she is feeling like dirt. She has just been exposed in front of the town for having had an affair with Billy. And Stitch, who has seemed very judgmental toward her in the past, instead of kicking her this time, he really was very tender with her. And he tried to encourage her to lean on him. And he even said that he wants to be close again with her. And Victoria stomped in right during uh, the middle of this heart to heart and she is ready to rip Kelly to shreds. But it was Stitch who held Victoria back and said, you know, leave her alone. What are you doing? What do you think you're doing? And gosh, you know, I'm just I'm so confused because I got a voicemail from Anna this week who said that there was a scene last week where Stitch, I guess, or and or Kelly somehow admitted that they were brother and sister that like Stitch said or Kelly said, like, you should start acting like a brother or something. But I totally missed that. How did I miss that? And I'm mad at myself because now I'm like, well, shoot, I want to go back and like understand because the Stitch Kelly connection is really um, it's, it felt confusing to me, and especially now, like, because Stitch is encouraging Victoria to work everything out with Billy, but then he also, I don't know, I swear, he seemed to indicate that he loved Kelly, and this week, I don't know, I got a romantic vibe out of it, so is it just that he loves her as a sister, or, so some people please confirm for me. Did my and confirm that Stitch and Kelly are brother and sister? I feel bad if I missed that, and I'm mad at myself if I missed that. And then I totally watched this week, like, thinking, oh, maybe there was a romantic connection. Because then later at the athletic club, Kelly admitted that she was the reason that Stitch's marriage didn't work out. So what does that mean? I mean, is, if it's his sister, then, like, maybe her problems somehow, he was too involved in her problems and let his marriage fall apart. But it's weird because the dynamic between Stitch and Kelly seems to have switched. It seemed like when they first came into contact, Kelly was very mad at him, like he did something bad to her. And then this week at the athletic club, she's like, look, I know I'm the reason that your marriage isn't working out. So I'm, I feel totally confused. You guys, please enlighten me. <laughs> I want to understand. So, uh, late, uh, all right, <laughs> enough of Stitch and Kelly. That's all I can do. Um, Billy is at home alone, and Jack confronts him. Jack has been there to advise Billy this whole way along, but Jack also doesn't pull any punches, which I like about him. 
Jack genuinely wants to help his brother. Jack genuinely wants to understand what happened with Billy and why he would destroy the one good thing he had going on in his life at the time. Why did Billy turn to Kelly? And it was it was unexpected that Billy sort of in coming back at Jack, began to defend Kelly. And he even says, you know, that I let her down too. It's all on me. I'm the one that, you know, Kelly needed a friend. She didn't need a lover. And I'm the one that let her down. But for some reason in her eyes that night, I saw a glimmer of recognition. I looked into her eyes and I knew that she understood exactly what I was going through having lost a child. Well, I don't understand why he didn't see that glimmer of recognition in Victoria's eyes. I don't understand fully, you know, the same way Jack does, why it was that Billy chose Kelly instead of Victoria, or he just, you know, maybe he said he just didn't want to bring the problems home. I don't know. I don't know why that had to equal an affair, but Jack probed Billy and said, are you in love with Kelly? Are you in love with Kelly? And Billy said, no, but I don't know. There was just something that I thought, well, maybe he is. Is that where we're heading? As Victoria pulls away, is she going to find herself falling in love with Stitch and Billy finds himself falling in love with Kelly? Uh, well, okay. We know that the role of Kelly has been recast. Cynthia Watros had to leave the show, so they recast her with a soap veteran. Her name is Katie McLean. I, I want to say she was One Life to Live or All My Children. I cannot remember which, but maybe she's been around the scene. You guys probably know her. I really only watch have watched YNR, so I didn't recognize her, recognize her name, but she's going to be taking over the role of Kelly. I'm assuming that maybe she's going to start to get close with Billy because the Victoria and Billy relationship is just not seeming to maybe, I don't know if it's going to heal this time and maybe it will take time, uh, but Billy is a very impatient person and he is really kind of up in Victoria's grill right now. He really, really, really wants her to forgive him. And in fact, she's coming home and he's wanting to have a movie with her or dinner with her. He's trying to be all romantic now. And I got a voicemail from Gary this week and he confirmed what I was thinking. Billy's trying a little too hard. I mean, he had another conversation with Jack later in the week and Jack you know, is trying to talk some sense into him, tell him the relationship is like a wound. It needs time to heal. But Billy said something that really made me angry. He said, I always thought that Victoria would forgive me no matter how big I screwed up. Well, there's your problem, Billy. Forgiveness should not be expected. You shouldn't automatically assume that no matter what you do, your wife is going to forgive you. Frankly, right? <laughs> Kelly again, bothering me, ends up calling Billy uh, while Victoria is at the athletic club at the same place that Kelly is at. She calls Billy and, you know, what does she even need him for? Like, she's saying, Billy, I need you. We're friends. I miss our friendship. Well, Kelly needs to just stay away from him. Why would she start calling him now? She's done a really good job of leaving him alone and has agreed that they need to stay out of each other's way. And then now that the secret is out, she wants to be all up on him? What does she need him for? Stitch said that she would that he would be there for Kelly, so why don't you lean on Stitch? Kelly doesn't need Billy. She wants him, I think. 
I mean, I guess. And Billy agrees to meet with her. They end up meeting at the coffee house. I thought he was going to show up at the athletic club and Victoria wasn't going to see them there, sending her through the roof. But no, he met her at the the coffee house. And I think the only reason he did was because he feels guilty. I think Billy doesn't want to be that guy to, like, screw her and screw her over and then leave her hanging in the wind. But Frank, Billy's obligation... (laughs) should be, needs to be, to his family, to his wife, to his son. Billy should have been thinking about those things instead of sleeping with Kelly in the first place. (sighs) Victoria, at the same time, at the athletic club, she's in the gym, she's pummeling a heavy bag, talking to Stitch, and she hits the bag so hard that she hurts her hand, and Stitch takes a look at it, and Victoria goes in for a kiss. She kissed him, in my opinion. So here we are. I guess this marriage is really, really on the rocks. I mean, Billy made a mistake. He's trying way too hard to make up for it now. Victoria and Stitch, and now that Stitch's marriage is breaking up, they're both in a vulnerable place. But, you know, kissing at the athletic club, short of uh, if they go upstairs and have sex, there's just no real difference between Victoria kissing Stitch and what happened with Billy and Kelly. One tiny little hostage situation with a man dead at the athletic club, and Devon is ready to pull the ripcord and doesn't want to be the owner anymore. (laughs) Neil has to talk him down from the ledge, saying, look, a lot of drama has happened at this athletic club. Yeah. (laughs) Stick with it, Devon. You know, you can make this happen. Uh, Devon doesn't know what he wants, does not know what he needs. He's been just a wanderer, a drifter, I think, ever since Catherine left him this money. Hillary is having a lunch with Jack discussing business, and every time Jack tries to discuss business, Hillary just feels increasingly worse. She realizes she has to address it. She tells Jack that she just feels weird about the fact that she kissed him, and Jack is very, very gracious about it. He doesn't try to make her feel bad. In fact, he tells her, don't be sorry. What you did was completely innocent compared to the big secret about Billy and Billy's affair that came out at the uh, at the gala so don't feel bad about it Hillary I think still just feels icky uh, she I don't know if she really wants Jack as much as she just wants somebody just wants to be loved she heads downstairs and runs into Devon and they talk a little bit Devon reveals he saw her kissing uh, Jack and I don't I can't remember if she told him that she that she caught him with Esmeralda but it was kind of funny because Esmeralda shows up the model at the athletic club to give Devon oh big big hugs oh I'm so glad you're all right I heard about the hostage situation oh I'm 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 so glad you're okay. She doesn't really care about him other than the fact that uh, she is probably hungry for his money. I mean, she didn't wasn't really interested in him until he revealed that he was the owner of the athletic club. All she has to do is a Google search to find out exactly how rich she was. So there's this moment where Hillary and Esmeralda are alone together. Esmeralda reveals that she did, in fact, sleep with Devon, and she makes a point of saying how good it was. Oh, yeah. Really? (laughs) I couldn't believe that. I thought, well, 
Jeez, Devon doesn't even seem like a stud to me. Does he seem like some huge stud to you? She was going on and on like Devon was the best lover she's ever had. <laughs> Made Hillary completely jealous. I'm sure Hillary wants to experience that too. Devon's got some ladies fighting for his attention right now. Neil is in a bad spot. He's losing his lady, you guys. This week, Neil comes to talk to, to Leslie. He feels like the, his experience with the hostage situation has really woken him up, and it's made him want to marry Leslie all the more. I know I said I was fine with not getting married yet, but no, I want to be with you. And Neil made a really good argument, just, you know, that, you know, I really like Neil saying people fight for this right to be married their entire lives. There's nothing like this connection. I want to tell everyone, the world, in front of God and man and everyone under the sky that I'm in love with you. There's nothing that matches the commitment of marriage. Neil takes it very seriously considering he's been married several other times and it didn't really work out and he didn't really take it sacredly. But now all of a sudden, marriage is a sacred thing to Neil and he wants it with Leslie. And I like that Neil is making this socially relevant argument. Uh, it's definitely a new direction for YNR. I like them bringing this up. But I also appreciate Leslie's point, because Leslie comes back, and she, and she was telling, I think, Tyler just before she was uh, sitting down with Neil, telling him that she and Neil had decided not to go forward with the marriage. And Tyler, of course, thinks she's crazy, but she revealed that she only said yes because she was afraid she was going to lose him. And I have a friend who I really strongly believe did the same thing, married uh, her man because she was afraid that she was going to lose him. That was her way of holding on to him. And And I think that that might be a feeling that a lot of people have but don't really talk about. So I really have enjoyed this back and forth between Leslie and Neil, this conversation that we're kind of having, because it, it's not typical for soap operas. Soap operas always elevate marriage like it's the end-all, be-all, the most wonderful thing in the world. I love that Neil is taking that position, but the woman, Leslie, is saying, I, I, I don't feel like I need to marry you to have this piece of paper in order to love you and share all of these things with you. So I am enjoying this, this back and forth. Unfortunately, Neil ended up kind of issuing an ultimatum to her saying, I'm sorry, I can't. I cannot wait. It's either we get married and make it official or I can't go on. I can't go on loving you and not feeling like we're committed in this way. And she returns the ring, just gives him back the ring and says, I love you. And I wish that was enough. It really makes me sad. I tell you, because I do. I feel like I understand where She's coming from it. Neil, Leslie comes, or sorry, Lily comes downstairs and sees the tail end of this, sees Leslie returning the ring, crying, him crying. And she comes up to talk to Neil and and to her father. And he just says, I didn't think she was going to walk away. I really didn't think she was going to walk away. I think Neil felt he was going to play this card, this ultimatum card, and that ultimately Leslie would give in. He was not expecting her to turn around and walk away. And it's really sad, and I think it's been an impactful moment. I haven't felt really connected to Leslie and Neil as a couple, but I have definitely connected into this conversation. I think... Here we have two people, Leslie, Neil, who clearly love each other, but they just can't agree on the terms of their endearment.
Jill and Colin are both still following this new Rachel Berenson lead. Who is this woman? They both are going through Catherine's things, pouring through old boxes, old books. Uh, they both want to be the one to find this clue without the other one knowing. They want to one-up the other one. They don't want to share in whatever the, uh, the, the, the windfall is going to be. If Rachel Berenson leads to money or who knows what else, uh, we'll they want to share it? No, they're going to want to keep it for themselves. So Jill is going through these boxes and she finds a book. And inside she finds a very old photo with the name Rachel written on the back of it. Uh, it's actually, um, she tries to hide it from Colin, but he ends up seeing it. And they talk about it a little bit. Apparently this was a book that Catherine's father had written while uh, she while he was in the war and it kept this photo in there. And now I want to know what your guys' theory is because I'm I'm gonna take it at face value and assume that Co what th this whole Rachel Berenson thing is true that Colin's telling the truth about it because the more I think about it the more I realize that Colin knows that something valuable has to do with this music box I, I I mean I can't imagine under what circumstance Colin would have been over here and Catherine talking to her lawyer and would have got to that music box first but at the same time I think Colin knows that whatever's on the other end of this is valuable which is why he wanted to marry Jill to ensure that he had half why else would he marry her he wants in on this fortune the whole heist with the diamonds has proven that he's desperate for money and he's willing to do what he has to do to get it so this photo of Rachel in in this book of war, what do you guys think it's going to lead to? Because the thought occurred to me, could Catherine have a long lost sister? This is obviously a photo that the father has kept in a book for a long time. Uh, could it have been a love interest? Uh, maybe Rachel Berenson was someone that, that Catherine's father was in love with. Maybe it will lead to the fact that they had a child together. Maybe we will have someone coming in to remind us of Catherine and not take her place, but I, I just think that would be all right with me if all of a sudden Catherine had a sister and came in and, and maybe was able to connect with Jill. I don't know why uh, it would be Jill's f final wish from Catherine, but Catherine's final wish for Nikki was that she found a long-lost relative, so maybe it's not altogether uh, just a, a, a wild goose chase. Maybe that could very well be what it is. What do you guys think that it is? I'm curious. Um, in the meantime, though, I really am enjoying the Colin and Jill thing. I think that they have a really good banter. Uh, I think Jill is totally attracted to Colin. Uh, that was never the problem. Wanting Colin was never the problem. It was the fact that Colin was a sleazeball. So I love seeing Jill fighting between really wanting him and not but and not wanting to give in to him because he's such a sleazeball. I, and I, I mean, it's just so good. I, on the other end, I also enjoy Colin constantly groveling for sex constantly groveling to just touch her. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. Okay, my podcast friends, that is about the end for me. I hope that you guys enjoyed this week's show and that you come back next Sunday for another podcast. Uh, if you feel so inclined, you can call in and leave me a voicemail. My telephone number is area code 309-588-4569. You can also leave uh, voicemails through my website at yrchat.com. You can go there, check out that. You can see the weekly polls and the quotes 
note game and the caption game. There's definitely some stuff to do there. So if you want to keep in touch with me throughout the week, go to yrchat.com, leave me a voicemail, and check out all the other extras. Okay, I love you guys. Everybody have a good week. I'll see you next Sunday. Bye.